You are listening to Action Line on KINY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me today via the phone, I have, and I got your full title listed in my notes here, Aaron Brackle, who is the Inside Passage Water Program Manager for SEAC. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you, Jordan. All righty. Now, you have come to talk to me today about the extension, about the extended deadline for the proposed Hecla Greens Creek tailings expansion. So where do you want to start talking with me about that? <clears throat> oh, excuse me. Pardon me. Sorry. Um, well, um, uh, first off is uh, this is a very important opportunity for the public to have input on uh, a, a very important project um, for the area. And the, there are environmental concerns and we encourage people to um, look closely at the project, to educate themselves, and to comment to the Forest Service on their um, uh, draft environmental impact statement. Okay. Well, let's just start with, with your concerns. So what are some of the concerns that SEAC has about the project? Uh, uh, the, so the, probably the top-line concern uh, is expanding, extending the life of the project in the environmental impact statement. This is an opportunity to take a look at, at uh, some of the issues that haven't been dealt with adequately up to this point, um, particularly fugitive dust uh, from, from specifically from the tailings facility, which is what they're looking to expand. Um, so for over 30 years, Greens Creek has been um, storing tailings on this tailings facility, and for over 30 years, metals-laden contaminated dust has been blowing off of that tailings facility and into the surrounding waters, into the Admiralty Island National Monument, into the Tongass National Forest, uh, affecting, um, we don't know all how, plants, animals, critters, wildlife, fish habitat, and also blowing into Hawk Inlet. So there's a real opportunity for the public to uh, support the Forest Service's direction for near zero fugitive dust detection limits to end the fugitive dust problem uh, once and for all on this uh, uh, important mine project. Okay. And now could you give me an example of what some of those, those, those metals are that you're saying are part of the fugitive dust? Sure, sure. So what happens um, in the mill process, you know, they've got the ore that they're targeting underground, uh, they, they blast that, they bring it up into the mill, and they process it. They grind it up um, uh, in, their, in their milling machines, uh, and then they run it through flotation circuits to pull out the concentrates or concentrates that they're looking for. They use it. They've got a silver concentrate, a zinc concentrate, and a bulk concentrate that all come out of that. They're, those concentrates go down to tidewater into the ore storage building, and they're put onto a bulk ship and shipped overseas. The tailings are the remains of that milled up rock. So the um, metals that are in that, uh, including like lead, zinc, cadmium, um, I think are some of the particular ones to be concerned about, uh, they aren't all pulled out of the, the rock at the, at the mill um, using the existing process. So they take those down and pile them on the tailings uh, storage facility, and that's where the problem happens with fugitive dust okay now i want to focus with you on on that lead part real quick and so you're talking mm -hmm. about the lead concentrations in the surrounding waters correct 
Um, the lead, so the mine has clearly identified using sampling um, that lead uh, is blowing from the tailings facility and being deposited um, outside of the tailings facility. Yes, so lead is, is a significant concern. Okay. And now, I was going to say, when was the? how recently have you looked at the DEC's uh, analysis of stuff in that area? Um, well, the... the uh, uh, it depends on what part. So uh, the the Department of Environmental Conservation um, uh, requested that uh, the Tributary Creek uh, south of the tailings pond, or tailings pile, downwind of the tailings pile, be listed as an impaired uh, uh, water body for lead. So there's, there's salmon habitat in that creek. Um, and so that is linked to the fugitive dust blowing from the tailings facility. Okay. Um, so that's DEC has 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 indicated, not you know, formally shown that there's a that there's a problem with lead uh, in the water um, that's related to the the tailings facility. I was going to say because the DEC had released a statement that in 2022, DEC listed 0.83 stream miles of the tributary creek as impaired for lead. Right. Best management practices enforceable through the DEC waste management permit are anticipated to result in attainment of water quality standards for lead within a 10-year time frame. Oh. Now, that was the official statement that they released, I believe, last month. Because I was going, like I told you before we started, I was going through all of this before. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Sure. And yeah, that's exactly it. Um, and so they've shown that there's a problem with lead from the tailings pile uh, contaminating the waters uh, nearby, downwind of the tailings pile. I do still have more to add to this. Now, as part of that same release, they also oh, okay. included a graph that looked at lead concentrations within different, you know, base food chain organisms in the area. In this case, they were looking at sea worms. And they had found that the lead concentrations within, you know, we're talking again, the base of our of the food web here were within acceptable standards and some of them were almost at you know pre-mining levels and so like mm. and it's good that dec acknowledges yes there is a concern about lead coming out there is it does it really seem as extreme as you know maybe it's being that might be presented as obviously again the dec has acknowledged that there is that impairment but then you might see some studies that say you know it's super severe but dec has shown that that's also not the case either though well, it's important to you know look at what the areas that have been sampled are um, in the in the scoping comments on the draft supplemental environmental impact statement. Um, NOAA Fisheries uh, indicated that there's a real need to look at uh, the area uh, between Cannery Creek and Greens Creek. So, what they sampled to date are certain specific locations, but they have not stepped out from that and looked at those uh, uh, areas of the, of the shoreline and, and intertidal uh, and, and, and the marine sediments that are um, downwind of a northeasterly. So it's important, so that with regard to fugitive dust, to, so to, to step back a little bit um, and look at uh, sort of pra practical aspects of what's happening and how the problem, the conditions under which the problem occurs. And they're pretty specific. So when we have 
freezing, cold, dry, northeasterly wind conditions, uh, the, uh, the tailings dry out. And the tailings are ground up very finely. It's, it's about uh, 85% silt, 15% sand. Of that 85, or of that uh, total fraction, about a third of it, 32%, is in that PM10 um, uh, fraction range. So it's, it's this, this is very, very fine stuff that can be mobilized. So what we want to look at from a practical standpoint is an, an environmental and ecological risk assessment to look more closely at the environmental uh, receptors nearby. So the plants, the lichens, the intertidal uh, shoreside uh, critters, uh, the marine environment, uh, you know, take another look at. They did great environmental baseline study work uh, looking at uh, the blood in, in brown bears. Um, that's, that's something they can, you know, go back and take a look at to identify um, whether how the eagles have been affected or whether they have other um, uh, lead levels in other uh, animals nearby, important subsistence resources. So we want to look from a practical standpoint, an, an ecological uh, risk assessment for the fugitive dust is actually really in order for this project because I understand what DEC is saying, but they're talking about specific sampling sites that are uh, uh, there are not very many of them, and they are not directly adjacent and downwind of uh, where the fugitive dust is blowing off of the tailings pile. So um, we want additional studies to actually understand um, what uh, the transport, you know, mechanisms of that, uh, you know, the biological mechanisms, what's happening in the sediments, what's happening with the plants. Uh, with that fugitive dust, it's, it's, this is the opportunity uh, to do um, better characterization of how the fugitive dust is impacting the national monument, fisheries resource, wildlife, the forest, uh, subsistence resources. And uh, we don't believe that um, the uh, locations that the the ongoing monitoring uh, that's being done that DEC refers to um, really uh, give that picture of, of the impact. So uh, we think that there's definitely, definitely at this time, this is the time to call for it because uh, in a, in a, in a approved plan of operations that, that comes out, gets approved in a record of decision in an environmental impact statement, that's the baseline. That guides everything that the Forest Service allows and requires going, for, going forward. And so during a public comment period, during the preparation of a draft environmental impact statement, this is the time to, uh, to, to draw those things out and make the improvements where there are problems. So we believe we need a better characterization of what's going on through an ecological risk assessment of fugitive dust, and then the development of a fugitive dust uh, monitoring and mitigation plan. They can actually make some pretty straightforward changes, I believe, to the operations of the facility that will really, really cut back 
on the dust leaving the facility. Because remember, these things, this only happens in specific conditions, those dry, windy conditions. Right. And if they sequence operations so that when those forecasts are coming, uh, they have uh, they have their mining equipment set up, put more of that stuff underground during that period, don't disturb the surface, because when you break the surface with equipment, you're going to generate dust. Now, Anna, we're going to have um, to go into our first break here, so you're going to have to oh, wait sure. till after the break. Great. Right. You are listening to Action Line on KINY. Welcome back to Action Line on KINY. I am your host, Jordan Lewis, and joining me still, I have Aaron Brackle, the inside Passage Waters program manager for SEAC. Now, before the break, we were talking a lot about the trailings dust. Now, the thing I want to talk to you about in this half is actually some of those alternative proposals that are part of the draft environmental impact statement. So would you like to start with that? Mm. Sure. Um, so therefore, uh, there's the no action alternative, which would mean that the mine could not expand beyond what's uh, the existing permitted capacity. Um, alternative B um, is a, uh, would uh, provide 10 to, I believe it's uh, uh, 10 to uh, 12 to 18 years of additional operating capacity, uh, and that would relocate the B road higher up on the east side of the of the tailings facility. And then alternatives C and D are uh, two larger uh, expansion options that also relocate the B road, but to the west side of the tailings facility. And, and uh, we, have, we have concerns about that. Uh, that's, so these, this fugitive dust uh, concern happens in these dry, particularly when we're having these northeasterly winds. When there are white caps on the channel in the winter or in uh, inland canal, that's a northerly. Uh, and they, that hits according to their historical windrows data from really from the northeast. And dust blowing off of the facility then would blow in a west relocated B road, their access road. Uh, it would blow onto that area and then would be uh, resuspended and reentrained by vehicle traffic um, in those dusty conditions. So we have concerns about that. Um, we think the best thing to do at this point. If uh, all of the environmental concerns are, are satisfied, uh, would would be um, the alternative B with the uh, relocation of the road on the east side, uh, providing uh, good additional storage. And then the opportunity as, as time moves forward, uh, science improves, technology improves, uh, to take another look at a future date um, at uh, an expansion alternative. Okay. I'll admit I'm surprised that you, considering that you are from an environmental group, you didn't go with option A, which was the no action option, which I would note, since I have all of these alternatives printed out, that would functionally meant, would have meant that the mine would have to cease activities within two years, whereas, like you said, with alternative B, that would add on an additional 12 to 18 years. Yeah, um, uh, we, we are uh, very thoughtful about... Um, uh, the uh, value of uh, producing important metals um, and the uh, uh, what Greens Creek as a as a, and Hecla as a as a company um, you know does for our communities in northern southeast um, there are a lot of there's a lot of employment a lot of economic activity um, but where we see problems 
we, we, we want to see the problems uh, solved. Uh, and, um, uh, you know, according to the um, um, uh, Forest Service, and, and we agree, the, the uh, fugitive just mitigation to date has been insufficient. Um, that's uh, that's the said very very clearly uh, section three dot two dot two dot seven of the EIS uh, says existing mitigation measures to minimize the mobilization of fugitive dust from wind erosion of tailings at the TDF are insufficient given sampling data that indicate elevated levels of lead zinc and other metals in the snow and lichen adjacent to the TTF. So we agree, um, and the Forest Services uh, uh, is, is calling for um, uh, a no, um, sorry, uh, a near zero fugitive dust uh, detection uh, before be required prior to proceeding with expansion activities under any of the action alternatives. Um, that's that's a high bar, and and the Forest Service uh, we support that high bar. Um, the uh, the the activities on the monument from that mine uh, should not be causing harm uh, outside of that project area, and and I believe that they can do that. Um, and they can make the changes. Uh, if they if they did additional real-time monitoring, they have a single dust track real-time monitor um, out there. If they had additional ones, kept them downwind during those specific conditions, they would really know what exactly specific activities generate the dust. Uh, and then they could, this is, this is where a fugitive dust monitoring and mitigation plan comes into play. Um, you, you, you do a, a careful and thoughtful review of really the details of what's happening. And, and if they sequence their mine operations underground so that they leave enough tailing storage down there for when those conditions are occurring and they eliminate surface activities except for those which are specifically intended to control dust at the tailings facility, sorry, surface activities at the tailings facility, not all surface activities. Because with the fugitive dust, we're only concerned about the ground-up tailings, not dust generally dust generated by driving along roads um, or, or in other ways. It's really it's this metals-laden, contaminated dust that, uh, that, that folks are wanting the mine to get a better handle on. Okay. And now you had mentioned, you know, the Forest Service's assessment of the mine, and I actually have the inspection report from the Forest Service from two months ago. The actual inspection was yeah. on March 22nd of this year, and the date of the report itself was from April 27th of last month. So this is quite a recent report. And they looked at a number of different categories. It was including, they also noted what the weather was that day. And almost every category they checked was deemed satisfactory with the exception of water quality. Hmm. Mm. Um, I, I'm not. I don't have that report in front of me. Uh, the the inspection report. Um, the you know they do a lot of a lot of hard work at 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 Hecla at Greens Creek uh, to uh, minimize impacts to water. 
they do. It's not, um, you know, we're not criticizing every area of their operation. Um, I've, I've looked at those reports, and you can see very clearly in them where they're identifying problems, they're, they're uh, doing important, uh, you know, their, their uh, stormwater uh, management um, activities. Uh, they, they do a lot of hard work, and they, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give it to the guys that, that are doing the work. You know, they, um, they, they know why they're doing it. Um, they have it as their, their values to, to protect the place. Um, they understand the risk uh, that it, uh, uh, water quality problems uh, create for the, for the mining operation, um, and uh, they take it very seriously. Um, and they have said that they will, um, they will meet any standards that they're required to meet. And, and that is appropriate, and it's, um, I believe it's their value. Now, what the standards are that they're required to meet are actually also important. One of the ones that, in addition to the fugitive dust that we're looking at, is the existence of a of a, a mixing zone, which is an area where the mine effluent after treatment is allowed to be discharged into, in this case, Hawk Inlet, and not meet water quality standards. It doesn't meet it at the end of the pipe. There's a there's a mixing zone with its zone of acute toxicity and its zone of chronic toxicity. And the way I like to think about that is acute toxicity is if you go in it, it's going to change your life. It's going to affect you. It could kill you. Um, chronic toxicity is if you live there, you're going to have a problem. You know, you're, you could have a problem. There's no need. The EPA allows what's called flow augmentation. That means after adequate treatment, they could add salt into the project, into the, into the pipe, um, and, you know, have a mixing chamber is not an expensive proposition. Um, they add water and then meet the water quality standards in the pipe. And so that at the end of the pipe, there's no place where it's killing fish. And that's the way that project should be. That um, time has changed. You know, things move on. They just uh, announced uh, yesterday the draft, um, uh, DEC announced the draft uh uh, after the um, water discharge permit uh, going out for for uh, to be revisited, and this is this is a great time to end that zone of polluted water in Hawk Inlet. Um, they should meet water quality standards. It's not that hard. It's technologically feasible. Yes, they got to spend money to do it. Yes, they need to, but they can. The great thing about it is. I was say, I'm gonna have to. Zone, you have to. I'm gonna have to cut you off here. We're actually out of time. Oh no problem. All no right. problem. Well, well, I hope folks really will take a good hard look and go comment on the environmental impact statement. righty. you have been listening to Action Line on KINY. righty, there we are.